Welcome to Health Outlook, a podcast and interview series focused on helping pre-health students understand various fields within the world of healthcare. I am your host, Anirudh Madali, and I'm a sophomore at the University of Michigan studying neuroscience and pursuing a career in medicine. Each episode, I interview pre-health students, healthcare professionals, and anyone else doing meaningful work or service in healthcare. My goals for this podcast is to help those like me in their pre-health journey to understand the many possible paths we may take to creating a better world around us and improving healthcare on an individual level. This episode features an amazing conversation with Rutgers University junior, Hardy Popser. 10 months ago, at the start of the pandemic, Hardy was diagnosed with stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma and had to undergo six months of chemotherapy as well as two surgeries in order to fight it. Now, after overcoming her battle with cancer, she started her own nonprofit community service organization at Rutgers called Answer for Cancer. Answer for Cancer is a support group for those going through treatment, assisting patients by by being there for them during their infusions virtually, making arts and crafts to send them, and raising money for those who cannot afford treatment and for cancer research. I believe many people will benefit from our discussion of her current experiences in, uh, in attending college during a pandemic, her origins of interest in medicine, her experiences in shadowing clinical, clinical care settings, uh, in relation to her new cancer support service uh, organization, Answer for Cancer, we also discussed how she started it and how she is growing her organization to spread her message. Personally, my favorite part of her conversation was learning how she had to inter- integrate her entire college career into what she had to endure, not only as a cancer patient and now a survivor, but also another college student during the pandemic. This was a very entertaining and informative conversation. I believe any aspiring physician, any person who's, uh, who's gone through a history of cancer in their family or loved one, or even personally, um, as well as anyone in high school, college, or even further in the process, interested in medicine, and uh, perhaps even a career uh, in oncology, will be able to take something away from this episode. And I really hope you guys enjoy this. And uh, please make sure to share this uh, conversation with anyone who might be interested. And let's dive into my conversation with Hardy. First off, uh, thank you so much, Hardy, for sitting down with me and discussing your story. Uh, let's start off by taking it back 10 months. So I want to give you the floor to introduce yourself and share however much you want about your diagnosis, for example, your initial reaction, and your family's reaction. All right, so hi, um, my name is Hardy. Um, I'm currently a junior at Rutgers, New Brunswick. Um, you know, I'm majoring in public health, and I'm minoring in um, psychology and bio. And so basically, like, I've, I've never gotten sick, like, in my life. Like, you know, I get, like, colds, like, something like that here and there. I'd be in the doctor's office for one physical a year, flu shot, and then like I never see them again. Um, but as like sophomore year and like um, the summer after freshman year came, I started feeling um, these fevers, which is a very common symptom of Hodgkin's, where you get fevers for about two weeks, and it's like um, a fever every single day, like every single night, and then two weeks later you're like completely fine and then like two weeks later the fevers come back so as a, as a college student I was like oh like 
I'm just really exhausted. Like these classes are really getting to me. Like it's no big deal. And like, I didn't want to take like Advil like every single day. So I'd kind of just like, be like, okay, like I just need to like not stress out too much, something like that. Um, and then we got sent home for COVID and then I was at home, you know, I wasn't doing much, but I'd still get these fevers. So I was like, that's, that's so strange. I'm not stressing about anything. Um, like I'm not even like really doing much for my classes anymore because it got shifted to online. So then we started like going to the doctors and like, like because it was COVID, it was really hard because um, at that time around like, I'd say it was April, 2020, it was really difficult to even get a doctor's appointment because all the doctors were working from home as well. They, and like fever is like a common symptom of like COVID. So if they hear you have fevers, they're not gonna let you into their office. So I had to go through like this whole process of just um, getting a COVID test. And then I could see the doctor, um, but even then like she wouldn't see me in her office. I had to do all the tests and everything. And I think the most difficult part was like, the first time I went to get like um, blood work, like a chest X-ray and like an ultrasound, um, they stopped my dad at like the front of the entire like hospital, and they were like, "Oh, like you can't come in." And um, at that point, like like before, like all this happened to me, I was that person that was so afraid of needles. Like I could not get blood work done because like just like the thought of it made me want to pass out. Um, so I was like really scared because like. Uh, you know, like no one was allowed in there with me. Like I'd be sitting there, they'd call me in, like I'd have to do all those tests by myself. Um, but you know, like there's nothing you can do about it. So you had to get them done. And then um, like, I remember after that first um, examination day after about like, you know, my chest X-ray, ultrasound and blood work, um, we were on the car ride back and my I guess my like physician already got the results. I'm so sorry. Already got the results for um, my blood work, and she was like, "I'm gonna send you to like a hematologist, oncologist." And at that point, you know, like I'm crying because I'm just like I thought it was like because it was um I had like uh swollen lymph nodes in my neck. Um, I thought it was like a thyroid issue, so I was kind kind of hoping that these tests would kind of lead me towards a thyroid issue because like that you can just take some medication and all um but then she was like oh like I'm gonna send you here and I was like okay great um and then we call the doctor and I was so I was like 20 um when I was diagnosed um and my doctor only sees people 21 and like over well, there's not a big difference but like I think when it really hit me that like, I probably do have it even before I was diagnosed is when um, I was talking to my doctor's like secretary, whoever like does like the appointments. And I was talking to her and she was like, oh, like how old are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm like 20. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like doctor, um, oh, I don't wanna say his name. Um, my doctor doesn't see like anyone that's under 21. I was like, oh, okay. But then she was like, she was like, actually give me two minutes. And then I guess he saw my scans and everything. And she was like, no, he wants to see you tomorrow. And I was like, okay, that definitely means that like, there's something going on because he wouldn't see me if there was nothing. So I think that's when it kind of hit me that like, oh, like there's something here. 
Um, and then, you know, I went to see him. He did more blood work, um, just went over my scans, had to do like the biopsies, all of that. Um, but even before the biopsies, you know, like I'd done like the PET scan, the CAT scan. So just through the scans itself, like he knew what was coming. So, you know, he had to like sit down, talk to me, all of that. Um, because I feel like as an oncologist, like the worst thing you have to do, which is like basically your entire job description, but like just telling the patient mm -hmm. that they have cancer, they have to deal with all of this is probably one of the hardest things. But especially like, just like a, like a young patient, I feel like, I feel like even like old patients, obviously, but like when you tell a young patient, like you're kind of like, you're really young and like everyone else around you is really healthy, but I'm so sorry you're gonna be going through this right now. Um, so, but I just remember the one thing he told me uh, when I was diagnosed, he was like, he was like, don't worry, we're gonna make you an old lady <laughs> because you know, like the first fear that everyone, like everyone thinks of, like everyone like associates like cancer with like something terminal, which is like something yeah. I associate it with too. Um, but, you know, just hearing him say that just gave me like so much more reassurance that I will be okay. Um, and he told me that I had to do uh, like six months of chemotherapy and with Hodgkin's, you get um, this treatment called ABVD. Um, and basically you basically get it every two weeks. So every two weeks I was in there and it was like I'd say like a four to five hour like infusion and like the two surgeries were basically my um you get like a chemo port like put in like your chest mm -hmm. um some people like get the chemo like put like through like the veins like in their arm like how you would get like blood taken but that's actually really harsh on your veins um so he recommended this port and honestly like I, I, um, I thought it was like a really good idea, like the whole port thing, because like, just like, it's not good for like your, like chemo in general isn't good for your body. And if you want to yeah. like, avoid any type of like interaction with like, like the veins and stuff, that's really good. So I want to go back to your initial diagnosis. So could you talk a little bit about uh, what exactly Hodgkin's is and what area of the body it targets as well as um, how severe it is for people of your age or how rare it is? Yeah, so basically Hodgkin's lymphoma is a cancer that attacks like your body's immune system and specifically like your lymphatic system because it attacks like the lymph nodes in your body. Um, so I was stage two. So that means that it was in my neck, but it was also in my chest. Um, and they found that through like the chest x-rays and PET scan and all of that. It's actually a really common, not common, but like it's found a lot, like this disease specifically is found a lot more in like younger adults, like around my age. I think like there's like a age range about like 15 to like 40, it's common. And then like 50 to 65, it comes back like the risk. Um, and I asked my doctor a lot of questions, like, you know, like, is there anything I did to like cause this? Cause you know, like, if you like smoke, like you have a higher chance of lung cancer. So I was like, yeah. what did I do? Like, like, what did I do? Okay. And um, he was like, no, it's just like, it's just like something that's found commonly in like college students. 
Um, if I was to guess like what would cause this, not like cause, but like, I'd say like, just because it's very common in like college students, I would think it maybe has to do something with like the college environment, you know, like, um, I'm not sure how to like explain it, but like, I can see how like coming out of like, like living like in one place and then coming to like live with like 20 other people using the same bathroom as other people like that will weaken your immune system in okay. a way so like I think I mean like thinking about it like that like I feel like that makes sense to me mm-hmm. especially because he said it was very common in like my age group um I was, I was just about to ask if uh if you knew if it was genetic or not so that that, yeah. that definitely um yeah. makes a lot yeah. of sense yeah, yeah so um it's I don't think it's genetic I think Cause like no one in my family has ever even had cancer before. So um, I don't think it's genetic. I mean, it could be different for everyone, but um, in my case, like, I don't think it was passed down by genes. I think it was just probably environmental, like luck, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, was there ever a time, uh, was there ever a scare that uh, this cancer would spread to other places because I know that is a very prevalent issue for a lot of cancer patients. And you said that, um, you know, it was in your neck and chest. So my next thought is, you know, breast cancer, right? That's a very common mm-hmm. uh, variant of cancer for especially women. Uh, was there any, was there any time there you had, um, I guess, like a doubt about that or was it, was it just concentrated in that one area? Yeah. So I think it was, mainly concentrated in this um, one area I had to do um, a bone marrow biopsy um, because if it goes in like if the cancer is in the bone marrow that's when it can start spreading to other organs Um, that's what brings it to more of like a stage four area and like I would have to go through even more aggressive chemo luckily I did not he did not find anything in my bone marrow so um like I was, I was stage two, but I think once it hits the bone marrow, that's when it can start becoming like a greater risk to like the other organs and stuff. Okay. It's interesting because um, currently I lead a program with uh, the Greater Ann Arbor's, uh, Greater Ann Arbor area's cancer support community to, te- to teach uh, survivors and some patients weekly origami classes. And mm-hmm. I immediately I kind of realized how uh, effective these classes were because for a lot of them, they really need that social interaction, especially during this time. Even if they're not currently going through anything, it's just, uh, you know, maybe have lost loved ones or living by themselves, um, or even if they're living with their significant, significant other, you know, they're elderly, right? So they're, you know, they don't really know what to do, especially being locked inside the whole time. Um, I want to ask you how you kind of got through those days uh, especially because after reading your posts on LinkedIn and Instagram, which caught a lot of well-deserved attention, um, I learned even more about how lonely the therapy and treatments were. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how you got through those days and then took care of your mental health as well as your physical health? Yeah, so obviously it was like really hard because, um, again, like I'm young and during COVID, you don't think that young people can be high risk because, you know, there's this whole like, survival rate that young people have Um, and obviously I wasn't one of those because my like the chemo itself like when you um, when you 
are under like chemo, um, it actually brings down your white blood cells. So it's not even like the cancer itself that weakens your immune system. It's like also the chemo. Mm -hmm. so, so you were uh, immunocompromised from the start. Yeah. So I, I'd say from like, even like when I, when I had like the, when I had like cancer, it would be like, I'd say like maybe around like August to now maybe mm -hmm. I'd be like immunocompromised. Like I have like my COVID vaccine and stuff, like, you know, had my follow-up and like everything's good. So you like, got the vaccine? Yeah, I did. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'd say from like then till like now-ish, I've been like immunocompromised um, just because of that. But yeah, so I'd say it was like really hard, especially because like I said, like young people aren't. So like, you know, I'd go on social media and I'm seeing like every single person I know, like able to go to the beach, able to go to like play other places. Like um, like my 21st birthday was in like September, like obviously I couldn't do much for it. Um, and like, I mean, like I'm fine with it, but like at some, like sometimes you're just like, oh, like I really wish I could do this stuff. Um, but like what I did to like, just like, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, take care of like my mental health. Um, I'd like just I'd like talk to my friends on the phone, basically. Like, uh, I'd Facetime them like all the time, and like, they'd always check up on me. So like, it was I didn't feel like lonely, lonely. Like, obviously there was one part of me that was like, oh, like I wish, I I could be hanging out with them too. But like, my friends are on the safer side too, with like COVID. So it's not like I was just sitting here and like they were like at like a bar like every single day. So um, they like understood my situation and like they never like, like I feel like it was hard, but um, just like FaceTime calls and stuff like that, like really helped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I was gonna ask you a question about that because during the pandemic, we might assume that since everyone's staying inside and you know most likely glued to their screens, it's easier to stay in touch with people. But uh, mm -hmm. it seems to be the exact opposite for a lot of people, including myself. I, I think that's uh, yeah. that's kind of true. And um, yeah, I think you you put it perfectly in how um, how available your friends were to you, as well as possibly uh, extended family. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how different your experiences were compared to what you saw or learned from other patients? Because I know that you uh briefly describe that um in your in your linkedin and instagram posts yeah so when i was when i was going through like my infusions in like the infusion center itself um there were i i'd say i, I was 100 the youngest patient there like every everyone else was um a lot older than me um and i think what was different about my experience was like again like since I'm younger like I would come with like you know my laptop my phone like an iPad like I'd keep myself busy with like Netflix like you know I'd call my friends but like the patients around me like they were a lot older they they didn't have like any of that and on top of that because um because of COVID no one can come inside and sit with you um at the treatments and all so it was just like difficult, like watching them because they would be like sitting there, you know, like taking like three naps because like they don't have anything else to do, um, like talking to the nurses. So I think it was a lot 
I think it was like harder for me to see them than it was to like go through it myself because just like watching them having to like just sit there like not have anything to do was like that's just really difficult so yeah um I definitely could see that uh I think okay I think this is a great time to introduce your new initiative um you recently started a nonprofit and community service organization at Rutgers called Answer for Cancer um, as someone who is also part of a community service organization helping cancer patients and survivors, um, shout out to Up Cancer at U of M. Uh, I'd learn to I'd love to learn more about your mission and how you began this organization. Yeah, so I first started it in I think I like I thought of the idea over the summer when I was going through treatment, and then you know I googled some stuff like how how to start a new organization at Rutgers, and what really like got me interested was like. I think I slowly came to the realization that I wasn't alone. Um, Cause like for a lot, lot of the time that I was going through treatments, I was like, I feel so alone. Like I'm the only college patient going through this. Like, why is it happening to me in my twenties? Like, this is just so, so yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but I think just realizing that I'm not the only person going through, like, unfortunately I'm not the only person. Um, so I was like, there's a lot, more college students going through it and like I um I took classes like um fall semester while I was going through treatment and like all my doctors were like don't take classes don't take classes but like I'm an extremely stubborn person if someone tells me not to do something I will proceed and do that thing so I took classes anyways um but it was really hard balancing everything and like when did you take classes specifically like what time Okay. Yeah. So it was it was really difficult like balancing everything because you know like I had I had chemo on Wednesdays and I'd be extremely sick from the chemo from Wednesday to the next Wednesday. So then I'd have literally one week basically to like that I was feeling okay enough to like do these assignments and stuff. And like, I think from like an outside point of view, like a lot of people think that like, oh, the professors, like it's gonna be so much work, like telling them like, oh, I'm going through this, like, can you help me out? But um, like, once you like, once you like tell them, obviously they're gonna understand they're actually very accommodating of everything. But it was a lot of research, just like finding out like how to get like, you know, like how to register through like the disability services so you can get, um, you know, like a letter of accommodation, just like, some help. So I wanted to create like a platform where students like me could just go to one place, ask people how to do it. And like, you know, sort of like a mentor or mentee thing, but like, not really like mentoring them, you're kind of just like paired up with them. And you're kind of just like, helping these patients out, like say like, to like, uh, one person in the club, and a patient, but we're both taking like, gen bio one the patient can't make it to two classes because they're not feeling well someone in our club would uh, provide them with the notes they'd help them through a tutor whatever they need um and that would be extremely helpful like last semester i know i took physics horrible idea because <laughs> i did not know how to balance that um it was fine at the end but you know i wish i had someone to like um help me for like the classes i could not make it to because i had treatment and all is but, that um is this organization only for Rutgers or is this like 
let's say a cancer patient at um, TCNJ wants help, could they also use the help of Answer for Cancer? Yeah, of course. Like literally, like any patient. Like I hope in the future, like we could have like chapters at like different schools because that mm-hmm. would be extremely helpful. But right now, there's only one. And I know in the group me, like after I posted on LinkedIn, a lot of people reached out from different schools and like, oh, we really want to help. They're all in the group me. Like I think because it's virtual, one good thing from it is that anyone that wants to join the meetings can, um, because you know, like you don't have to go to Rutgers. Like if you want to help, you can. You can like definitely help. So I think that's that's a good that's a good thing about it being virtual, but yeah. And I didn't want to like stick to just college students because you know there's a lot of people going through it. So we decided to like branch out and expand to like any cancer, like any patient that needs help right now, especially during COVID. It's really hard for them to like they they feel really lonely. Like you don't have anyone with you at treatment. So like we would send like arts and crafts to like little kids, like maybe like cards to like elderly patients and like nursing homes and stuff like that. Interesting. So for those listening who may be interested in getting involved with your organization uh, or simply just learning about more about, uh, more about what you do, what do you suggest uh, they go out and do? Yeah, so I'd say if you're interested in like joining, um, we have an Instagram page where we put all our information it's um, at answer for cancer underscore RU. And um, we have, you know, the group me link is in the bio of that. We have all the information posted. So if you only want to, you know, like join one meeting, you can join one meeting. Um, but we update everyone on what's going on in that, on that Instagram page. So I'd say definitely, definitely give it a follow. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, so for the last section of this uh, episode, I want to discuss a bit of your pre-med journey. So um, first I want to ask you, how has your plans as a pre-med changed, um, not only due to the pandemic, but also because of your battle with cancer? Yeah, so I'd say after COVID and everything going on, I I want to help people more, basically, just like seeing like how hard these like doctors and everything work, like everyone works. Um, especially after what I went through, like, I've always had like an interest in oncology, but I think after what I went through, I really am like, um, like drifting towards like the oncology side, because I just feel like after all these years of what's like happened, like cancer has been around for so long. I think it's crazy that we don't have a cure for it yet. Um, So I just think like, I just want to do more research into that, you know, like help any patient that I can. And I think that I'd have like an interesting perspective for like any patient, like any young patient, especially because if they're feeling like, oh, like I can't do this. Like, I love to be that person be like, yes, you can. Like, mm-hmm. it will be okay. Like, we'll get through it together. Like, it'll be okay, basically. Um, so I think, I think uh, what I went through definitely like changed like the field that I was interested in wow yeah I think um I think that's a really strong argument for uh why you should become an an oncologist I think you like you said earlier about how um an oncologist uh their the hardest uh the hardest part of their job is basically telling patients that they are diagnosed with cancer um, someone who's gone through it should probably be able to do yeah. that um, much easier than someone who hasn't, right? So I definitely think that uh, 
that's something that you can use in your future. Um, first, I'd like to ask you uh, how you got back into your courses and obviously the work and everything that goes with being a pre-med student. I know you touched a little bit about this earlier, but um, how exactly did you get back into all of it? Yeah, so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, no problem. I think what, I honestly think that like going through treatments and doing class at the same time taught me a huge lesson on time management because I'm horrible at time management. Um, I do everything last minute. I'm, I procrastinate to the max, but after last semester, like when I had only one week to get everything done, I think it really taught me that like, um, cause I only, so basically I had, like I said before, like I had one week where I was sick from the chemo and then the next week I was fine, but you know, I still had assignments to do from like the last week, but I think just knowing that like, I only had this amount of time to do the work, I would get it done as fast as I could. Like I'd finish all the assignments from like the week after the week before. So I could have that one week, like without stressing about any assignments or anything. So I think that really like, if anything, like taught me a lesson about time management. Yeah, I think that's a kind of a bitter way to learn time, time management, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but uh, you know, whatever teaches me how to do it. <laughs> um, I saw you're also a medical scribe. Uh, you've joined that recently, um, I think, right? Uh, How has that been for you? It's good. So I used to actually be a medical scribe for New York Presbyterian, the ED there. Um, and it was, I'd say it was very hectic because it was live. So, you know, the, the physician would join on to the WebEx and we'd chart and then, or like I'd chart from my side. But I think the craziest thing for me when I was doing it was, first of all, it was 12 hour shifts, but like it was 12 hours for me, but they'd still kind of be going on and just watching them like have like, 60 different masks on and just sitting there for like 12 like 18 hours and just doing their job and it was just like I thought that just like put everything into perspective because you always see like unfortunately you see these people that refuse to wear like one surgical mask mm -hmm. and then you see like these doctors that have to wear like you know like n95 surgical mask like face shield like and like a bunch of stuff on top of that. So I think that just put like everything into perspective, like how like, like severe basically this pandemic actually is. How effective do you think uh, being a medical scribe, like the experiences that you gained for the, for the past few months has been uh, over, you know, over virtual scribing or virtual um, like shadowing because uh, you know, there's a lot of virtual chatting programs out there right now, and I've attended a few of them, and they're very informative, but I feel like uh, they really cannot give you that real-life experience, right? Um, you said you work 12-hour shifts sometimes. How effective was that in terms of learning the, you know, I guess the rigor of being a medical student or a physician or any sort of healthcare worker? Yeah, so I think it was definitely really hard. Um, like you said, like it's virtual. So obviously it's not the same. Like I wish I was there in person. Um, but I think it's still really difficult because, you know, like, especially in the ED, like you got to get the chart done just to like, if the chart's not done, basically the patient can't be like processed because their chart's not finished yet. So it was a lot of like pressure, but I think this is like something that like really teaches you or like 
like makes or break whether you want to be like if you can handle it basically because if you can't handle it then like like I don't know if you could like handle it later because like that's something you would always have to do like you have to like it's very like it's very um time pressure a lot of time pressure um but other like you also have to be accurate because you can't like it's like you're you're looking into some patient's medical charts like their charts are in front of you you can't mess anything up or like it messes up like all their medical history or whatever yeah so I think it's something you have to be very like precise about but also under the time pressure do you think that's specific for working in the ED the emergency department oh, or 100 yeah okay okay so that, that that definitely makes sense because yeah. I feel like if you were doing this uh within like a uh, like a radiologist office you know like a private private practice office then I get yeah of course yeah getting all the you know the information into the database when that is you know the most important thing but you're not under as much of a time yeah. crunch, right so Definitely. um but yeah that's a great point about how if you can't handle that emergency department um you know kind of level you should definitely think about it although uh, i guess i'd I'd probably push back on a little because emergency department is like the the utmost, oh, you know, yeah, 100%. like the most uh, time um, yeah. sensitive. Uh, department. But I think it really gives you like an idea of like what. Um, I think the coolest part was just seeing like the different types of like problems, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Especially because it was like um, New York Presbyterian, so it was like a lot of different cases that were coming. Whereas like right now I work in an orthopedics practice. So it's kind of like similar types of like cases that come. But I think the most interesting part was like seeing the different cases that would come in the ED. Yeah. And um, lastly, uh, I also saw that you're a student intern at Rutgers. Uh, is this a lab? Uh, could you go into about, could you talk a little bit about your experiences uh, in this? Yeah, so this, was, this is basically, um, through like the biomedical and health sciences, there's like a department that's specifically for tobacco studies. And we got a grant from American Cancer Society where, um, cause American Cancer Society is trying to make college campuses tobacco free. So they basically gave us a grant and, you know, they chose like, um, I'd say like a couple of people from each like Rutgers campus to, um, like lead the call like the students into making like Rutgers tobacco free so you know like we hold like well like, right now it's like kind of difficult because it's virtual but if we were in person we would do like town hall meetings like um we'd we'd have like booths at like at the student center just like any type of like um prevention because I I think that the use of like tobacco really starts like and like college because you know people like use like e-cigarettes and all of that um so i think it's important to start the prevention now yeah and um i think you you explained a little bit about how uh that could go into things like lung cancer yeah. uh, etc so it kind of ties everything together um yeah. so yeah it's really nice to hear that you're doing great work for your community um not only with answer to cancer for cancer but also uh this internship um but yeah i think that that, that pretty much does it, it does it for this episode uh thank you so much hardy for taking the time out of your day um to sit down with me and discuss your story 
Uh, I learned a lot from this, and I hope those who have made it to the end of this episode have also. Before we finish, do you have anything you'd uh, like to say? Um, yeah, i just say, like, uh, I value mental health a lot. So I'd say, like, for anyone that's going through this, like, just try your best to be positive because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So <laughs> great advice. And uh, to all of those listening, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, share this with anyone who might want to learn more about Hardy's journey past cancer and her community service organization, Cancer for Cancer. Um, thank you to all of you who made it to the end, and I wish you all the best of luck.